Good morning. Welcome, church. Ooh, it's really bright, you guys. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. I just have a couple of announcements for you this morning. So there's a Easter and Palm Sunday choir practice tonight at 6 p.m. And then moving forward, it'll be on Thursdays at 6 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer if you're interested or if you have questions, you can talk to Sandy. So be sure to check that out. There's going to be a zone rally March 26th at 6 p.m. That's at Glenview Church of the Nazarene. So check that out if you're interested. And the Restore Network is a ministry that we support regularly. It, they are having a trivia night on March 31st at 6 p.m. at Cornerstone Church. There's also a sign-up sheet in the foyer for that. And I think just the hope is that our church would be able to have several tables. If you're not a fan of trivia, there's also volunteer opportunities. So if you have questions about that, let us know. We're excited to partner with them again. So, all right. With that out of the way, let's um, just pray. I just want to welcome you guys into the house of the Lord this morning. God, I just I thank you so much for this day and for these people. Lord, I just ask that you would be in our midst this morning as we focus in one heart and one voice to worship you, God. Your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So we just believe by faith, God, this morning, whether you feel near or far to us, we believe that you're here with us as we gather and as we sing. And as we sit and we hear your word, as we serve, as we have fellowship with one another, that you are honored by us being here and living in community, loving you and loving each other. God, I just ask that you would help us this morning to focus on you, to hear your voice, to be led by your spirit, not by our own will or our own desires or our own thoughts, but your voice, God, the Holy Spirit, come and, and guide us. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us if you're able or if you would like to as we sing. Um, there's plenty of opportunities in this space for worship, whether that's sitting, kneeling, standing, the altars, your chairs, the aisles, wherever you want to be, this is, this is just a safe place where we just come together to worship God. So let's do that this morning. Amen.
ashes come lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting there with open arms see his open arms for god so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us whoever believes in this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm doing a selection here. It's a familiar passage. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to read 12 through 13. It says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now we see things imperfectly, 
like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled and striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. alone who took on flesh fullness of God in help let's this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine was bought with the precious blood of Christ the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath 
Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no steam of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll returns or calls me home here in the power of
What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. And nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. And you have no rival. You have no equal now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is! What a powerful name it is! The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is, and nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. Amen. Quiet spaces in between songs, it's okay. Just take a moment, take a breath. our hearts for communion today and I hear the Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all cause Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thy power and 
Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as you all would remain in an attitude of just openness before God this morning. I'm just going to ask him to um, just continue to open up our hearts. This is one of those weeks where I just feel particularly burdened with a number of things. 
and it's overwhelmed what I've planned and prepared, and I just invite you to pray with me that the Lord would direct these moments. Structure is comfortable. Structure is preferred. Having a plan as to what you're going to say is where I like to be. And so I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to to just come into this place. You are already here. We know that, Lord, but... you just open up our hearts God we don't want this to be about us and it's so easy for us to make things about us it's so easy to lose sight of your kingdom vision, of your way. God, it's so easy to take the way that the world operates and even to take the way that we operate in the world and to bring that here. God, it's so easy for us to just look like a part of the world. We, we say that the Holy Spirit is in us and we say that, that we are holy and completely sanctified. And God, yet it's so easy to lose sight of that in any given moment when we're frustrated, when we feel threatened, when we are looking for control, when we are dissatisfied with our lives. and we're stressed out. And it's so easy to look around, look around and see the other people that make us feel a certain way and blame. And God, I just ask that you would forgive us when we do that. just help us to see, Lord, that none of us here is worthy. None of us here have have done anything to earn this gift of love and grace that you have so freely given us. And God, I just pray that that reality would overwhelm us. could just be in a place of, of, of transparency and just openness once again, God, to your truth, to your way. Lord, those words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 are just playing over and over in my head that it doesn't matter what we plan to do around here. It doesn't matter 
how hard we plan and prepare. It doesn't matter, God. We can construct a a way of ministry. We can plan and prepare. We can hire the best people to lead the way and to cast vision. But God, if we don't have the love of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, God, it's worthless and it means nothing. And that's not meant to condemn or shame anyone but God it's it's to remind us that we are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to love always always to love first to to not feel threatened or or frustrated or assuming something about somebody, but God, to to yield to your spirit in every single moment. God, that sounds impossibly hard. And maybe there are some of us here who think that's I, that's just not possible. It's just not possible. But God, I am I feel foolishly hopeful that it is. That it is possible that we could yield to the love and power of the Holy Spirit. And that when we do, God, we see the beautiful ways that you long to move in our midst. But because this call to love God and to love neighbor, because this is the most important thing, God, Perhaps we forget sometimes that if this is not at the top, if this is not truly how we're living, then why would anything else work the way we're trying to make it work? Why would it go according to plan? Why would it succeed? Because without the love of your Holy Spirit, we're just people who are planning things to no avail. So God, these are the messy contents of my heart this morning. You've already disrupted so much of what I had planned and prepared. just choosing to believe, God, that that you have a very specific thing that you want us to hear. And so, God, help me to not get in the way of that. Help our our stubborn, closed-off hearts not to disrupt the message and the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, would you just help us to be open, maybe even a little bit vulnerable today. We're in the season of Lent, and God, the challenge that we have embraced from the very beginning is to enter into this season with open hands rather than closed fists. And that is really, really difficult. So God, right now, as an act of surrender, as a symbol of my dependence upon you, God, I release the things that I'm holding on to, and I enter into this moment open-handed, ready to receive from you 
whatever it is you want to give us. And if there would be anybody here, God, who truly does want to release, may they respond with open hands in this moment. And may we open up our hearts. you and we are so grateful for the ways that you relentlessly love us thank you God thank you Jesus thank you Holy Spirit for your presence in your name we pray is one of those weeks, you guys, where part of having a female pastor means just she's not going to look real cute, and her makeup may run down her face occasionally. And so just close your eyes if you have to. Just look away. It's okay. Um, I don't know how to explain where my heart is today. Other than there's just been um, a week full of interesting interactions with people that have just um, burdened me. And I don't really know why. I don't know how to fully explain it other than I just feel like um, there's a lot of resistance to things that God is wanting to do in our midst. And I don't say that casually. Because I do not, I I grew up in a faith tradition that, in my view, fabricated a lot of emotion and a lot of things, right? It it didn't feel genuine. It felt very um, man-orchestrated, if you will. And I don't want to do that. I I try not to be emotional, right? Because... That's the problem with women leaders is they're too emotional. And so I, um, I don't feel like I'm overly emotional. And this morning I have begged the Lord to help separate my perhaps emotional tendencies from this moment. And so that any emotion that I might be responding to and feeling, and I just tell you it comes out of nowhere today, that it's just the Lord disrupting something. And this is not directed to any specific person or any specific conversation or event. It's just a culmination of things. And I just need you to trust me that as the pastor, as the leader of the church, that just means that I see and am am privy to a lot of, of interactions, right? And to be sure, there's even more happening that I don't know about because sometimes it's hard to be open and honest with our frustrations and how we feel about certain things. And so I just need you to trust that, that I'm just seeing things from a, from a point of view that, that makes me feel like I need to pause and to slow down and to 
encourage you as much as I can to just be open to what the Lord would say to us today. And there may be some that are like, I have no idea what she's talking about and what is going on. Nothing big has happened. It's just, it's a culmination of things. And I just cannot help but feel like the Lord is wanting to invite us to lean into a moment where there's a lot of resistance, just a lot of resistance. And any time that we see resistance, especially one that feels this strong from where I'm sitting or standing, I feel like on the other side has to be something good. And I'm even afraid to say that because it reveals in my heart something that I'm terrified of saying that I don't get to see, right? Like, what if we say that, but it doesn't actually happen? Like, I'm skeptical. And I don't want to be skeptical, but I just believe that the Lord is doing something good and something holy and he's disrupting everything. And sometimes that has to happen so that we can see the beauty of God at work making us revived and renew, renewed in his presence again. Are you with me at all? <laughs> it's okay if you're not. It's okay if, if you're like, wow, what did I walk into today? <laughs> Perhaps I will leave and not come back. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, I've shifted things around a little bit, and so there may be moments where I'm looking at my notes and deciding if that's something that needs to be said or if it can just be looked past this morning, okay? Uh, we're going to be reading in just a moment from Romans chapter 4. And if I can just briefly, and I don't like to briefly... Um, Give you. I don't like to give context briefly because a lot of times it takes away from the integrity of what is being said. And so trust me a little bit and, and then later go back and look for yourself, right? Do the work that yourself so that you can see what's going on here. But essentially, and I'm just kind of rushing past a lot to get to where we're at in chapter four. At this point in Romans chapter four, Paul is addressing the Jewish people. He has addressed Gentiles and is acknowledging their presence in the community of God, their rightful place in the community of God, right? He is acknowledging they are welcome, they are a part, they are supposed to be here. And then he shifts and he's talking to the Jewish people and he's disrupting a lot of, of deeply held beliefs that the Jewish people have when it comes to things like the law, when it comes to things that you have to do in order to be considered worthy. And they are looking in large part to Abraham and they point back to Abraham and they believe certain things about Abraham, which makes them believe certain things about God. And Paul is trying to correct these misguided beliefs. Okay. Paul is saying, you need to kind of come at this from a new angle. Like, Forget everything you thought you knew about Abraham and the law. And there's, I'll just say this now in case you're wondering, in case you're like, wait a minute, wasn't Abraham pre-Torah, pre-law? You would be correct. <laughs> and so it's so confusing that, that Paul is even having to address 
that Abraham, or that, that it suggested that Abraham would follow the law, every letter of the law perfectly, because friends, there wasn't one, okay? There was the way of God, certainly. There was direction and, and instruction from God for sure. But Paul is disrupting this idea, like it's not even possible for Abraham to be completely faithful to the law that did not yet exist. And you'll kind of see that in the language. And so Paul is addressing these, like I said, deeply held beliefs. And, and, and you can't really talk about this without acknowledging that, that well-known passage in Romans 3.23, the one that we've all memorized and know so well, right? And this is where Paul is really trying to drive this home saying that all have sinned. And, and I know you have a high regard for Abraham, Jewish church. I know, and, and that's good, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. But you need to know, Abraham missed it too. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that only came, only came through Christ Jesus. Okay, and so he's kind of setting up this question that we're going to read in verse 1 that, that he is addressing. This question is addressing the heart of the concern for Paul for the Jewish people. And this question is, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? In other words, what are you saying about Abraham then, Paul? What does this mean for Abraham? Are you suggesting that we relearn everything we previously knew and believed about Abraham? Can we even do that, Paul? That's just, I'm, that's all me interjecting, okay? Uh, in, in, as to what I think is kind of going on in the hearts and minds as they're hearing this. So if you're able, I invite you to stand this morning as we read from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 and also verses 13 through 17. So Paul, the Apostle Paul says, again, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Well, what does Scripture say? I love that Paul was faithful to the Scriptures. Amen. He was faithful, and he held integrity for the. Or he had great integrity for Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? Let's go to the Scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter fifteen. He didn't really say that, but what do the Scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works. Now to the one who works, who's working. Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend, who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, 
and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Paul is, is making a very specific point here. He is, I kind of already touched on all the things that Paul is saying. This is not what's happening, right? This is not what, what, what really happened with Abraham. And, and just to get right to the point, Abraham, uh, Paul in verse three is addressing, you know, he's, he's following up with, I, I just want you to keep this fresh in your minds, following up with Abraham could not have followed the law because it didn't yet fully exist, right? And so we can't credit Abraham for doing something that he didn't even know he should be doing. And Abraham was a very faithful follower of God and was called righteous, but it's time for you to stop believing that it was because of something he did, right? And so we want to construct this this idea that, that it was nothing that Abraham did, that before Abraham could ever make a decision about whether or not he was going to do what God asked him to do, he did one little thing that seems tiny and small and probably to the Jewish people insignificant because it's like, you can't measure that. What? How do you measure that? How do you measure faith? How do you measure belief? We need something that you can measure, right? And, and, and so that's what makes what Paul is saying so frustrating because you can't measure this. It just is what it is. But, but let's not waste any more time. Paul says in verse 3, that all of this, all that God did through Abraham, friends, just think back to the stories you've heard since you were a kid. Father Abraham, right? All the things, Isaac, and, and all the times that Abraham went where God called him to go, all the difficult things. God said from the very beginning, go from your country, right? How difficult would that be for so many of us? Can we just put ourselves in that position when, when it's a time when People didn't just up and leave their families, right? You stayed close with family. Families depended on each other. They weren't going to survive if they didn't. It's very different from today. If we move away from our families, more than likely they can survive without us or vice versa. But that wasn't the case in the ancient culture. They depended on one another. Abraham's family would have depended on him to stay. And God says, I need you to go from your country, leave the only place you've ever known, the only place you've ever called home, and go to a place that I will show you. Which to me indicates it's, you don't know it. You don't even know where you're going. Just do it. Leave this place and go to a place I will show you. Leave your family behind. Deal with all the things that must have, have, have been involved with making that decision. Can we humanize Abraham for a moment? We did it to Jesus. Certainly we can humanize Abraham. This had to have been challenging, friends. And go to a place I will show you. 
really difficult ask of God, number one. And then God, at some point in the story of Abraham, makes this crazy promise, right? Like, I'm going to do something that you aren't even prepared for yet, Abraham. Like, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. What? What does that even mean, God? I'm going to bless you. And, and furthermore, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to the world, to the surrounding nations. Not only am I going to bring through your offspring a great nation, an entire nation. By the way, Abraham is really old and has no kids at this point. So we know this, right? But let's call it what it is. How do you, what do you do with that? When God has just said he's going to make you into a great nation, look up at the sky and count the stars if you even could, if you could even begin to count them. And that is what I'm going to do through you. Your, your descendants are going to be as great as the number of stars in the sky. Not only am I going to make you into a great nation and make your people into a great nation, that great nation is going to be a blessing to other nations. I'm going to do this massive thing through you, Abraham, but I know you don't even have a child yet and you're probably really confused. And Abraham, even though there was absolutely, from what I can tell, there is no like sign of how this is going to happen. Like He is taking God at his word. And I know that we're supposed to do that, but can we acknowledge that that's really hard sometimes and sometimes we don't do that? Myself included, I kind of just confess to you that it's hard. But he took God at his word. He, he has, what's the history like here? What, what has God done to show Abraham that he is worthy of this trust of what he's asking Abraham to do? And Abraham did what God asked him to do. And in verse three, what I think is the culminating verse in this passage, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. That's all he did was believe. Scholars, I really appreciate how scholars say that this passage that we just read in Romans four serves almost as a commentary of sorts to Genesis 15 verse 6 specifically, where we read for the first time that Abraham believed God. Crazy enough, he believed God and and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I imagine the Jews that are hearing this and they're like, believed in what though? Like, what did he believe in exactly? What was so great about what he did that God took him from, from a place of being unrighteous and now suddenly he's righteous and God is going to do all these things in and through him? What is it that Abraham even believed at this moment? And to me, I understand why this would have been challenging for people who wanted to measure everything, right? It had to be in what you could see and measure and count and, and, and write down maybe, But it's huge for me that Abraham did believe because Abraham was believing God to do this massive thing that he himself could not do. No matter how hard he tried, and by the way, he tried, right? He took things into his own hands when he felt like God was taking his sweet time. How often do we do that? We rush the process. 
that's taking too long. You're taking too long, God. I, I don't see what you're doing, so let me just help you out a little bit. Maybe this is how you want to accomplish this. He believed God to do what he himself could not do even when he tried. He believed, he had the audacity to believe that God could make this great thing out of nothing. I imagine Abraham is looking at his life and he's looking at himself and he's like, God, how could you possibly do this with with me? I don't even have what is required for this great nation. How could you even do this through me? There's nothing to work with here. But he believed that God would do it. He believed that God could multiply something that had not yet existed. How do you look at something that's not there? And it even appears like it's never going to be there. Friends, Abraham had to wait a painfully long time to see this come to fruition. A painfully long time. I am positive I could not have done it. A long time, day after day, waking up, looking around at your reality and your circumstances and saying, really? Really? You're going to do that with this? Nothing has changed. Nothing. You better get started. You're running out of time. Nothing has changed. Abraham is called righteous because he believed that God was good and trustworthy and faithful even though he could see no evidence. He believed. He believed this God was trustworthy, that this God was the real deal, that this God could do the impossible. He believed, right? Sounds like it's not such a big deal, but it actually is. He believed this God could take something out of nothing and that he was up to something good and something big, even though he couldn't see it. And he chose day after day after day to get up and put one foot in front of the other. And he chose to believe. And it's because of this belief and this trust and this faith in this God that God looked at Abraham and said, You are credited with righteousness because it's all I asked for you to do was believe and trust in me. And I'll do the rest. And so Paul is is teaching the Jewish people that Abraham did not do anything to receive all that God ended up giving him. Everything that Abraham did that the Jewish people hold in high regard, like the ability to lay Isaac on the altar or embracing circumcision for him and his household at a painfully difficult age and time when this was foreign to them. Everything Abraham ever did that the Jews pointed to as like measurement, 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 it was all in response to what God had already done for him. Because when you serve a God who takes nothing and turns it into a nation, that goes on to be a blessing to the world forever and ever and ever, and you see that this God takes literally nothing and turns it into something, when you see that play out before your very eyes, everything that you're created to be responds in trust and obedience and faithfulness. You will follow this God forever. How could you not? So do you see what's happening? That it's a response from Abraham to this God. But before he did anything, the simple thing he did 
not so simple, was belief. And we see from this that God can extend whatever he wants to whomever he chooses, even when we've done nothing to deserve it. And I love how N.T. Wright summarizes this passage and he says, Abraham believed God and this, friends, this belief is the basis of the entire covenant which was then established. Just believing and trusting in this God who is saying some really crazy things. And it's really easy for us to make this faith thing about what we do and what we don't do. Right? We want something we can measure. We want something we can measure ourselves up against and something we can measure everyone else up against. And the moment you fall short, I'm going to let you know it. And the moment I fall short, I'm going to let myself know it. And I'm going to like put myself through the ringer, right? And feel incredibly shameful and feel like a total and complete. There's children in here, so (laughs) we'll say just like somebody that has no clue, right? Like, what are we even doing here? What am I even doing here? I can't even get this right. How could God do anything in and through me? And then we look at others. We look at the church and we say, how can you do anything in and through them? God, how can you? you, there's seemingly nothing happening. If anything, we're working against what you're trying to do. God, how can you do anything with this? How can you revive this? And so we're reminded from places like Romans and and like the story of Abraham that our faith is in a God who responds to us with a radical, relentless love and grace even when we don't deserve it. And that our faith is in in a Christ, in a Savior who really did die for us while we were still stuck in our sin who really did die for us when we were the ones who said, crucify him, go ahead and crucify him. He's not doing anything we thought he would do. He's not the God we thought he was. He's not even God, right? That was the problem. So just crucify him. We did that. And he went and he willingly died anyways while we were still stuck in our sin. And so if that's the kind of God and Christ and Savior we serve and follow, then our faith must it demands that we would live then with a radical relentless love believing that God is still bringing about new creation here and now that God is still taking what feels and looks like nothing and he's turning it into something beautiful that God really is making these ashes into something beautiful that he's taking this dust and he's making beautiful things out of it. That's what we say we believe. But do we? Do we believe that in the depths of our being? Do we believe that this love with, uh, this relationship with Christ is not transactional? Is it a relief for you to know that before you ever had a chance to move toward God, he was already moving toward you? Is it 
a relief for you to know that, and I'm stealing from another pastor here, that the moment God saw you, he made his mind up about you and it was good news? Do you believe that for the person sitting next to you? Don't look at them. That'll just make things awkward because then they'll try to figure out whether or not you really believe it. And you might not, so just don't even make eye contact. But do you believe that the same is true for the person you can't stand the most, that God has already made up his mind about them and the news is good? That before they did anything, God was already running toward them with a reckless, in our minds, radical, relentless love? Church, I maybe this is where the message that seemed unrelated to where my heart is, this is where the two collide. And I wonder, listen, I've talked to you guys. I, I spend a lot of time, I try to talk to you guys and to know your hearts and to get a sense for where you're at spiritually. And can I confess that there's a lot of you who are worried about where we're at as a church and just where the church is in general and you're wondering about the future of the church because we look around and we're like, there's not a lot of young life. That's, my, that's your words, not mine. <laughs> like, those are concerns that you have. And then there's other concerns that others have that, that a lot of times we come into this place and we don't look any different from the rest of the world, that your stress and your anger and your bitterness and your resentment that you feel in the world, and understandably so, that comes into this place and, and it translates in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And before you know it, we're looking around and it's like, it's really easy to feel like, wow, where is hope? So then I ask you, even though we don't always see what we want to see, do we believe? Do we really, truly believe? Are we crazy enough to believe that this God, this same God is still good and faithful and can still make something great out of nothing? Are we willing to push through the the, the resistance that I feel because God is trying to do something good and something new? I don't say that lightly. I feel it just, it's just there that there is, there, we're like, there's this beautiful thing that's on the other side of, of this moment and there's so much resistance to get through this moment to see the beautiful thing that I think God wants to do. I don't know if that's just in me or in you, in this local church, in the church, but friends, I don't want to miss it. I'm terrified of missing it. I'm terrified of us just showing up week after week after week and just going through the motions and we leave this place and we go back out into the world and we respond and react and live as if we don't really believe that this God is who he says he is and that the best days are behind us. A lot of you believe, and I just know it. You don't even have to tell me. I just know it, that you believe that the best days are truly behind us. I can't believe that. There have been some good days. 
I have fond, beautiful memories of, of the church and of growing up in, in the church of the 90s that was just explosive for so many people, and I have good and fond memories, but that's not going to work again today. We can't recreate that. We have to give God space and permission to do something new with what we have now. And we just have to get out of the way so he can actually do it. And if you feel like this is a message of, of shame and like, like I'm up here shaking my finger at you, please know that the reason that I am so in this awkward place with this message and with what I've had on my heart all week long is because I feel this too. And I am just as guilty of, of what I'm pointing out in all of us, that it's really easy to look around and say, good luck with that. These are, we are really stubborn. We are really difficult. Good luck. The odds are not in your favor, right? It's just really easy to, to, to believe that. And I just say, God, forgive me. And God, help me. Help me to see you as Abraham saw you. Help me to not question for a moment what it is you want to do, even though I don't see how you could. I don't really know where that leaves us. I, don't, I didn't have enough time to flesh this out this morning to where I feel like I can leave us with like this pretty neatly tied bow on the top of this message or like, now you go and do this and here's the one challenge for you. I don't know where to leave it. But it's not lost on me that today was Communion Sunday. It's our tradition and practice to to receive communion on the first Sunday of every month. And it's not lost on me that, that even communion is something that we just do without even thinking about what we're doing. It's a box that we check. Maybe you leave this place feeling extra holy and, and, and right with God because you received communion. And I just want to remind you that one of the names we have for communion is Eucharist. And Eucharist comes from the word thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving. And if salvation, stay with me, just trying to connect all the dots here. If salvation comes by following, I think what I believe or what I understand to be 613 laws perfectly, we're talking about the law. If salvation comes by following all 613 laws perfectly, plus the ones we've tacked on, then no one can be saved, and we're all doomed. Every one of us would be doomed, and the sacrifice of Christ would mean nothing. Therefore, we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? And I know that a lot of times when we receive communion, a lot of us, I don't really know where this happened, when this started in the church, but there definitely was this tie with 1 Corinthians 11 and some peculiar words Paul says regarding communion and like how it makes us feel extra pressured to make sure that we have everything figured out and no sin in my heart at all before I receive communion because Paul says you're drinking judgment upon yourself if you don't. And, and so people are often confused by that. 
And, and, and they wonder, like, why sometimes do, do pastors use that before communion? And, and why sometimes is it like an open table? Like, you can all come because we're all sinners and none of us can come to this table perfectly clean. Therefore, you're all welcome. What are we to do with that? And if you really want to know, I want to read to you what Paul says in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, for as often as you, oh wait, hang on, let me, let me go here and actually read the whole gist of it. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. He's talking to a local church in Rome, okay? Room full of church people, all right? And he's saying, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. He was super optimistic, I feel like, because he's like, in some, some regards, I believe that. <laughs> I appreciate the optimism there. He says, no doubt there are differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, you're going ahead with your own private suppers. I won't bore you, but he goes on to basically say like, you're gathering as the people of God and you're approaching the table, which is the language we use for communion. You are receiving bread and wine, but you're indulging on it. You're, you're eating all of the meal and there's none left for the people outside the church. You need to understand that when Paul says that if you participate without checking yourself, if you will, if, if there's any reflection happening it better be that there's no division among you and that you're actually living into this life which you've been called to live and not leaving the rest of the world behind. That's, if you really want to take it seriously, you might reconsider because that's really serious. It's a really serious thing to say that you're coming to the table and there's no divisions between you and your brother or sister. You know what Jesus said about divisions? And coming to the altar, coming to receive, you go make it right first. And so I feel like Paul is kind of saying the same thing, right? And so he goes through the liturgy, if you will. Here's what Jesus said. Here's the, the Lord's Supper that was instituted by our Lord. And then he says those troubling words. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And so you ought to examine yourselves. In other words, when we gather together in this place, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you and I are charged, and this is what we're to take seriously, we are charged to be mindful of all that our Savior has done for us, and we are challenged to follow him more closely. And this means that there is to be a consistency in our behaviors and that of Christ, that our participation and proclamation in communion in Christ is supposed to be a witness to the rest of the world. In other words, when you come to the table and receive, you want to leave this place as a radiant, beautiful people looking more like Jesus than you did when you came in. And the world ought to look at you and say, wow. There is something different. I want what they have. 
And we go out into the world and we find those who are not receiving this life and we bring them in, not sit around here and indulge ourselves and yet forsaking our brother and sister and the world. And so I'm going to ask the praise team to come and I just don't know, Lord, what you're going to do with that mess (laughs) that I just feel like I blurted out. But I do see a connection here with, with this belief that Abraham had in a God who could take some, nothing and turn it into something great. And I just feel that the church is hungry for God to do that again. And I would even say, as the spokesperson, if you will, of this church, that you all are, are hungry for God to do it again. Right? And so I guess all I'm asking of all of us, and listen, I wish that Jesus himself could show up and serve us communion. He's the only one worthy to do so. I don't serve communion to you from a place of, oh, I've got it all figured out, and I hope that you do too. When I look you in the eye and serve you communion, it's like, oh my gosh, this is hard, right? And I need you to help me, and you need me to help you, and we need each other. That's what I'm communicating when I look at you and serve you, because I am so unworthy to do so. And so I wanted to kind of address all of that ahead of this song, because My hope and my prayer is that in response, and there's probably a lot of things to respond to, so just pick one, okay? Just pick one, and and I just pray that, that we wouldn't just sing another song, that we would truly come before the Lord open and honest and just asking him to show us What a beautiful gift we have in Christ Jesus, an unearned, undeserved gift. May we leave all of our shame behind and come forward boldly. And I would even challenge you to look at other people in the eye as you come to receive communion. And as you look at one another, I hope what's being communicated in your glances is, I need you so bad. And you need me so bad. I'm I'm stealing Tara Beth's words here. One of the most beautiful things Tara Beth ever said as a pastor and still says often, I need you, you need me, we need you, and you need us. Would you be willing and able to look at your brother or your sister as you come to the table and communicate that and maybe even say it to them if you want to get really crazy? And so my hope is, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way in this moment. That, God, you would take whatever it is that that we are, are sensing as maybe some resistance or just a disruption. God, that you would... just do what you would do. I don't even know how to ask that, God, that you would just be in every conversation, every interaction. That as we respond in this song, God, that you would be so present in our hearts and in our lives that we would be ready to fully surrender and and open up our hands and say, I surrender all of it. 
so that I can look more like Jesus. And as we come to the table, Lord, would you bless these elements? In a few moments when we gather, would you bless these elements? God, would you help us to come to the table not feeling shameful, not feeling as as though you look at us with disgust, but God, may we come to the table knowing, believing with every fiber of our being that before we ever did or said anything right, that you already lavished your love upon us. May we receive more of that love through this sacrament, through this means of grace where in which your spirit is present. And may we receive and may we be empowered to go out into the world and to share this love that we cannot withhold. It's only through your power. And so we say, Lord, have your way in us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dim these lights just for a moment. I want to read to you from Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And as we've been thinking and hearing and learning and reflecting on faith today, it's so clear to me that it requires humility. We have to humble ourselves. It requires humility for us to have that faith. And there's nothing more humbling than the cross. So as we come, as we sing this song, or as you hear these words, I just invite you to meditate on them, to think about the cross. There is nothing more humbling and nothing more fruitful for unity than the cross when we Francis Chan says it's really hard to be mad at your brother when you're kneeling side by side before the cross. So let's do that together today, whether figuratively or literally. The altars are open. You can stand if you're able or if you so choose. You can kneel. You can sit as we just meditate on the cross together.
God, we just thank you for your grace that never fails to meet us. God, would you just help us to be prisoners of hope? Who, without shame, just trust and believe as Abraham that you are working to redeem all creation here and now, that you're not waiting for some special moment, that you've always been and you continue and you never stop working to redeem all of us so that we could foolishly, it feels we, that we could believe that we would leave this place in the power of the Holy Spirit that is enough to help us to love others and see them as you see them. The power of your Holy Spirit that, that helps us to not deny that there is a world around us that is lost, that is angry, that is stressed out, that is broken down, that can't go on anymore. And we walk with hope and with light and with love. So much so that we couldn't look at our neighbor or anyone without communicating to them in some way, whatever that is, that there's hope for them too. We all desperately need that hope, God. Would you renew our hope right here, right now, God? Would you renew our strength? Some of us have been doing this for a long time and we're dealing with messy people. We ourselves are messy and we're broken and we mess up. But God, would you renew our hope in who you say we are? Would you renew our hope in one another? Would you help us to walk in complete and total unity? God, would you help us to push past this moment of resistance and where, where we believe, God, that you are doing something new? Maybe it's big, maybe it's not. Maybe it's something big that's going to change the entire nature of this place, but maybe it's just something small that changes inside of each and every one of us. And yet we would come together and say, can you believe what God is doing? God, you are greater. You are stronger. You are enough. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the power of glory forever and ever. You have defeated hell. You have defeated the grave. You have defeated the enemy. Which means that there is nothing too big that you can't do. And so we believe. Help us in our unbelief, God. And start with me. Right now, God, start with me. Would you just continue to make us new?
Would you bless this time of gathering around the table? Would you bless the bread and the cup? Would you be present in a a new and beautiful way? We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And um, in just a moment, your row will be dismissed by an usher. We'll go ahead and turn the lights on for that. Um, But the the rows will be dismissed by an usher. Uh, First, I will ask if there is anyone who is not able to come forward, and I will come and serve you. And after that, you will all be uh, dismissed and welcome to come. And I just want to reiterate that this is a place for all. For all to come. If you are a person who recognizes your need for God, for Christ in your life, you meet the requirements, you're welcome. That's the only criteria. Recognize your need for God and for Christ to renew you, and He will. And so at this time, if anyone needs for me to bring the elements to you, would you just raise your hand? Dear God, I've been trying awful hard to make you proud of me, but it seems the harder that I try, oh, the harder it becomes, and I feel like giving up. Change or fade away. And I 
betray him and he took some bread and he broke it and I believe he looked each and every one of them in the eye and said this is my body which has been broken for you may you take and eat and let it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life friends take and eat and be thankful 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and looking each and every beloved friend in the eye, he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this, and whenever you do, even now, in remembrance of me, and you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So friends, take and drink and be thankful. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Do you want to sing doxology? Okay. Sing with us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Stand with me this morning. And I lovingly share this benediction with you. May you go in the peace and power and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is enough for you. May you go and now proclaim his life and his death to the world around you, seeing everyone around you as beloved and worthy and made right in the sight of God. Friends, go in grace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.